scripture reading is from John 14, 15 to 20 and 25 to 27. If you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me, because I love you, you also will live. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. This is God's word. Thank you, Jerry. This Advent season, we've been looking at the nature of God. Um, Who is this God that we celebrate at Christmas? We've looked at the fact that uh, God is not just some giant person some huge, powerful figure. God is three, a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, an eternal community of love. The word the Bible uses is fellowship, koinonia, a divine, self-giving, generous love in which three persons give themselves away so completely to each other that they become one. And we've looked at what that means in terms of each person, God as Father, the one who creates everything, the one who um, becomes the Father to Jesus, both a biological Father through the Holy Spirit, but also through Joseph. Joseph adopts Jesus just as the Father adopts each of us. And so there is this legal relationship that Jesus has with Joseph and that we have through the new covenant with God as our Father. We looked last week at Jesus the Son, the gift given, new life entering our world, God drawing close, becoming one of us, becoming vulnerable, becoming approachable, allowing us in, coming alongside us in our trouble, living the life that we could not live, defeating on the cross the enemy that we cannot defeat, death. So this Sunday, as we prepare for the new year, God, the Holy Spirit. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. That word can be translated as counselor or teacher. To help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. So for most of uh, this year, we've been looking at the gospel of Mark. Mark uh, is based on Peter's memory of Jesus, his experience of Jesus. And it is very direct and very vivid. You know, Peter was a fisherman, a man of action. He wasn't... 
uh, an abstract thinker. He wasn't an intellectual. He just tells it like it is. I saw Jesus do this, and then he said this, and then he did this. But the Gospel of John, and you will uh, experience this if you ever read it. The Gospel of John was the first Gospel that I ever read. John was a mystic, or more mystical. He was also a fisherman, but he'd left that, and he actually, he was a disciple of John the Baptist before Jesus went to him. John was on a spiritual journey before he met Jesus. And when he meets Jesus, he begins to follow him. He's more interested in who Jesus is. The Gospels say that uh, John was the one that Jesus loved the most. And John, the Gospel of John, is where we see most of Jesus' prayers. John was very careful to record the prayers of Jesus. And it's in John that we see John talking about the nature of Jesus. It's John that talks about Jesus as the light, as the life. It is, you know, the, the water of life. It's John who talks most about the Holy Spirit and the love that is revealed through Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So you can think of the, the Gospel of John as really more of a, the, the most theological of all the Gospels, a great place to go if you're interested in prayer, a great place to go if you're interested in who Jesus really was rather than what Jesus did. And here you will see the relationship of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If you love me, it starts with a relationship. John is the one who tells us that God is love. It is his very nature. If you love me, if you participate in my love, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, counselor, the Holy Spirit. The Father gives the gift is Jesus, the revelation of who God is. And the way we receive that gift is the Holy Spirit, the guarantor, the connection, the one that reveals and applies the gift to our lives, the spirit of truth. Now what does that all mean? For many people, um, God as Holy Spirit is the most mysterious aspect of God. We've all had fathers. We know what sons are like. We can understand that relationship. It seems tangible. It seems intelligible. But who or what is the Holy Spirit? The only place to find out is actually the Bible. Spirit is one of these primordial words. It doesn't come from anywhere else because there is no spirit other than what we find in the Bible. Spirit is what God is. It's not that God is a spirit or like a spirit. It is like his holiness. It is uh, a word that describes his nature. And the only reference is God himself. So the only way to understand spirit is to look at God and what God's word, the Bible, tells us about the nature of spirit. The word itself, uh, in the Hebrew Bible, 
the word is ruach. And it is first used where, when God, um, the Spirit of God hovers over creation, when God creates heaven and earth. It's the word used where God breathes into Adam the breath of life. And it means, literally, breath or wind. In Greek, pneuma, where we, the word where we get pneumatic from, or pneumatic drill, pneumatic tire. In Latin, spiritus, which is where our English word comes from, spirit. All referencing the nature of God, all referencing the Holy Spirit. And everywhere the Holy Spirit shows up, there's new life, new creation. The, the Spirit is God's life principle, God's um, power, God's existence made manifest. Like the wind blowing in the world, it is God's energy, God's presence in the world. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Notice, the world cannot accept him. The Holy Spirit is not some abstract power or force. You know, like in Star Wars, Luke, feel the force. Some abstract power in nature that is just needs to be tapped. No. The Holy Spirit is personal. That's why the Holy Spirit is part of the community of love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you cannot understand the Spirit without reference to that relationship, that set of relationships in the Trinity. There are a number of ways of talking about it. You can think of God the Father, who orders, orders creation, provides, provides everything that there is, creates everything out of nothing. It all begins with God the Father's initiative and creation. Jesus, then, is God in action in the world. It is God's presence. He is God's personal presence in the world, revealing who God is. And then the Holy Spirit is the one that, who connects that reality, illuminates that truth, and reveals to us, applies to us fully the truth of the reality of God. Another way of thinking about it is it is God who speaks. You know, the word spirit refers to breath. He speaks the word. Jesus is called the word in the Bible. And the Holy Spirit applies that word to the human heart, reveals it, makes it real, allows us to understand. One of the best illustrations I ever heard of the what the Holy Spirit does for us and in the world is the idea of an illumination of something. If you've ever been in Greece or any place where there are ancient ruins, it seems that now they always have an, a, a night illumination where you go and you sit and there's a portentous music and there's a description of 
the architecture or the buildings you're going to look and one by one the different elements are suddenly illuminated in the dark and it's amazing it looks like they just pop into existence right in front of you and then gradually as the lights are turned on more and more the whole thing becomes complete I remember the first time I was in Greece I watched the Acropolis emerge out of the darkness like that and it was just a magical extraordinary experience what the light does is illuminate what you're looking at. You don't notice the light itself. It illuminates. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit illuminates truth about God and illuminates to each of us the reality of who God is. That is why it is the Spirit of truth. He is the Spirit of truth because the Holy Spirit illuminates what is true, what is real the nature of God, how we should get to know him. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. This is a promise that Jesus makes to the disciples. As he comes to the end of his ministry, as he prepares them for his death and resurrection, he makes this promise. And it's the promise that is fulfilled at Pentecost. If you read the book of Acts, which is the history book of the Christian church, it tells you what happened after what the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, have described. It tells you what happens next. In chapter 2, it describes the Holy Spirit coming 50 days. That's why it's called Pentecost. Pentecost is the Greek word for 50 days. 50 days after Jesus' resurrection, after we've celebrated Easter, the Holy Spirit comes just as he promised. When the day of Pentecost came, they, the disciples, were all together in one room. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Violent wind, remember, spirit means breath or wind. The living breath, the living power of God, the life of God coming into the world. They saw what seemed to them to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. In the Bible, fire is the sign of God's holiness. This is the Holy Spirit that is showing up on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Other tongues the Spirit is what communicates the Word of God to the world and to each human heart. And so the Holy Spirit enabled the first disciples to speak in all the languages of the people who were listening. It is the Spirit that carries the gospel into the world, to every nation, to every people group, to every person. And it is the Spirit that applies that word to each human heart. You don't just hear a word and agree. You don't just hear the gospel and agree. You don't just learn about Jesus and say, okay. It is a supernatural act. The Holy Spirit has to take that spoken word and apply it to a hard human heart by melting that heart. And only then can the gospel be received. The Bible talks about the gospel being like a seed that is planted. It is the Holy Spirit that plants the seed in each human heart.
And so the Holy Spirit is the way that God communicates and interacts with the world. It is where his creative energy, where his new creation happens. If you look at the beginning of the Bible, the Bible begins, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. It is the Holy Spirit that turns this empty, dark void into the world that we know, heaven and earth. When God creates human beings, then God, the Lord God, formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, ruach, and the man became a living being. The Holy Spirit turns a dead void into the beautiful world we know. The Holy Spirit turns dirt into a living human being. And it is the Holy Spirit that turns non-Christians into Christians. Truly, truly, this is John, by the way. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. This is what we are commemorating and symbolizing and testifying to when we baptize. The water of baptism is really a parable or metaphor for the cleansing presence of the Holy Spirit that turns that which was unholy into the holy people of God, a holy person, and that which was dead into that which is now spiritually alive. So that's what the Holy Spirit is up to in the world. Bringing life, bringing new life, new creation, revealing the truth of God and applying the truth of God to the broken, dead things of this world. Before long, this is verse 19, before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. You know, Jesus is talking here. This is him talking about what's going to happen after he's been resurrected and he returns to the Father. He will leave the Holy Spirit with his disciples, with his church, and though the world will no longer be able to see Jesus, God revealed in the world, those that receive the Holy Spirit now are connected, remain connected to God through the Holy Spirit. You know, if you talk to secular people about your faith or you talk to them about God, perhaps this is a question that you have of yourself. One of the biggest problems is, where is he? Why can't we see him? Why can't we meet him and know him? Why can't science prove him? One of my uh, favorite pictures is the National Enquirer had a picture of the Hubble telescope looking up in the sky, and it, and it can see heaven out there, as if heaven 
and God with just something else in the universe, another part of the universe, just like New York City. That will never happen because God is spirit. What is spirit? That which God is. God is not like us. He's not made of physical stuff. He's not made of matter or atoms or molecules or cells. God does not have a physical body. And therefore, we will never find God in our world or in the universe through telescopes or through science experiments. Because his nature is fundamentally different from ours. He is spiritual and we are not. We are finite creatures of time and space and he is not. Remember, God existed before the heavens and earth existed. God does not need planets or stars. God does not see, need stuff because he is spirit. Because I live, you also will live. God is spirit. Spirit exists before heaven and earth, before time and space, before mountains, stars, planets, and will continue to exist when they're all gone. That's why when you become a spiritual person, when you receive a gift of the Holy Spirit, you become eternal, unperishable, indestructible. It does not matter what will happen to you in the rest of your life, what happens to your physical body. Because we now have a spiritual body that cannot be destroyed, that will never wear out, that will last for all eternity. That is the true gift that we get when we become Christians. On that day, this is verse 20, on that day you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. That spiritual nature is what joins us to Jesus and the Father. In fact, we become part of that koinonia, that holy divine family for all eternity. And this language of being in, if you don't have a physical body, if you are not limited by time and space, then there is no limit to the intimacy that you can have with another person. That's what's being described here. That is the gift of a spiritual nature. Well, this is all highfalutin talk, Pastor. You know, this is all intense theology. But what is the reality of our lives? So much grimmer, so much more challenging, so grittier. What if your life is a failure? How does this kind of talk help? What if you feel like you're slipping behind in life, at work? I hate that puzzle. What if you look at your life and compared to your friends and colleagues, you feel like you're falling behind? That your job is not the job that you had hoped? That you need to earn more money? that maybe you should get another degree or work later or start earlier or take fewer vacations? What if you're feeling fat and ugly and out of shape? What if you're feeling like you should start this new year by working out or eating better? 
What if you're not saving enough? Are you going to end up having to eat cat food when you retire? Does it worry you? Why is it that friends on social media are having so much more fun than you are? You're getting old. Your eyes are going. You don't have enough energy. You're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You're not pretty enough. You look terrible in the mirror in the morning. Think of all the terrible things you've done or left undone, things that you've thought or have tried or have failed. For many people, that's what the reality of life looks like. By the way, I probably reveal too much about myself in that list. <laughs> I feel this every winter. The January, February, March of Tony's soul is a gray emotional wasteland. Um, it's, by the way, I always try to go on vacation in the winter for this very reason. We have this extraordinary, beautiful gift of Christ. We have this ex these extraordinary ideas. And yet the reality of life doesn't live up to them. How can you possibly apply these ideas to your daily life when you wake up tired on a Monday morning, when you come home exhausted, when all you want to do is flop down in front of TV or Netflix or go and watch YouTube? How do we connect these ideas with that idea? Well, there's a, there's a remarkable thing that is promised here, that the Holy Spirit is in us. That's the promise. The Holy Spirit is in us, and that means that Christ is in us, and God is in us, God the Father. Right there, in the very center of who you are. Is that true? Is that real? Have you tried to engage with that reality? And here's my suggestion. You know, New Year's is when we make these amazing resolutions, right? We try to have, turn over a new leaf, have a new beginning, set priorities for this upcoming year. Why not take or try to take this seriously? Remember the promise here. We have a Holy Spirit in us who is a counselor, an advocate, a helper, a gift of God, right in the very center of who we are. How do you engage that reality? Well, I learned this from a, a Trappist monk, Thomas Keating. I heard him being interviewed on the radio, actually, which is a strange thing for a Trappist monk to be doing but he had become so good at teaching other people to pray that his order sent him out into the world to engage the world and show the rest of the world how to pray too. And so I'm going to give you a suggestion. This is a lot to ask every day. I mean, he was a Trappist monk. He spent his life doing this every day. So don't try this every day. I mean, you could if you wanted to. But instead of just kind of writing a list of resolutions this year, as you approach New Year, have an inner vacation. Have a time with God where you engage this reality. And this, this isn't exactly what he said, but this is my interpretation of what he said. How do you do that? Well, you do it in prayer.
We had a wonderful example from Steve Wosavage uh, this morning. Start, just as he did, with the word. You have many lunatic ideas in your head. Don't start with them. Start with truth. That's what the Bible is. I would recommend a psalm. A great, or in Galatians, there's a, a list of the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Start with that. What are you doing there? You are getting rid of lies. And you are starting on a bedrock of truth, the word of God. That's your starting point. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Start with the reality and the truth that God is real and God cares for you. Start there. That's the foundation. And here, I, I learned this from a, I've learned this from a number of monks. They all repeat the same thing. Don't just launch. Ask a question. You will not know if God is answering your prayers, if the Holy Spirit is counseling you, unless you ask for something. And write it down. What is worrying you? What is the biggest hurdle you see in 2019? What's the, what is the best, what's the worst thing happening in your relationships or your career or your health or your family or whatever it is? What problem do you want God to solve? What can't you understand? What is stealing your joy? Write it down as a question. Ask God what you should do or what he will do. Write it down. That's the second step. And then start to pray. Well, what's going to happen? Well, you're going to worry about getting the kids to school. You're going to worry about your job, about the emails that you didn't reply to. You're going to worry about all kinds of stuff. Your head is working. Your conscious mind is constantly churning over. But there is more to you than that busy part of your head. And you need to get in touch with that. How do you do that? Every different culture has learned the same trick. It's not really a trick. It's a technique. You're breathing. Why is your breathing important? Well, right now you're all breathing, right? But you're not thinking about it. There is part of you that knows how to breathe. And off it goes. it's been breathing all morning. That's why you're here. And... If you decide, you can change your breathing. You can make yourself take a deep breath. You can hold your breath. You can change the rhythm and pattern of your breathing with your conscious mind. And so breathing is where your conscious mind and your unconscious mind meet. And they meet in controlling your breath. So pay attention to your breathing. I don't think it's any accident that the spirit is described as breath, the breath of life. All right, so you're paying attention to your breathing. You're breathing in. You're breathing out. Well, if the Bible is true, you're breathing in the breath of life. Invite the Holy Spirit in. Remember, the Holy Spirit is a person. You can pray to the Holy Spirit just as you pray to God the Father or God the Son. And on each breath, say it in your mind. 
Invite the Holy Spirit in. Maybe just breathe that word in. And as you breathe out, let go of all your distractions. Don't fight them. Don't argue with them. Don't get angry with yourself. Just let them go. Holy Spirit in, distractions out. Holy Spirit in, distractions out. And as you do that, you will quieten your mind. All the distractions will begin to go. Keating talks about your, your mind like a river that is cluttered with boats. And if you just let them flow downstream, eventually the, all that is left is the river, the river of life. And everything will become quiet inside. You've breathed out your distractions. You've invited in the Holy Spirit. You've already asked a question. And now, just be still. You know, David says in the psalm, be still and know that I am God. The Spirit is there, fully present to you. You've got rid of your distractions. It is at that time that you will hear from God. Not necessarily a word. For me, it's oftentimes scripture. Or it's uh, an annoyance that I can let flow down the river. A feeling. Something. A person. Don't immediately fill that quietness up with your own thoughts or questions or requests. Just sit there. Allow the Spirit to speak to you, to communicate the things of God to you. And just stay there. Don't be any rush. There's all the time in the world you are in the middle of communicating with the most important relationship and the most important person that ever existed. And just offer yourself and that time Two things will happen. One, the Holy Spirit is a counselor. Your question will be answered. It has never, ever failed that this has not, I have not got an answer through this. And it's oftentimes not even in the general area of where I thought the answer was. And I always write it down because my memory is terrible. Write it down after you finish praying. The second thing is, the Spirit is there. The Spirit is not just some passive force. The Spirit is personal, active. Paul said in the book of Romans, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through word, wordless groans. The Spirit is active. And if you get out of the way, if you get rid of the distractions, no matter what else happens, you'll be transformed. How will you be transformed? Well, I read it. The fruit of the Spirit, that which grows from the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Is there anything on that list that you wouldn't like to have more of next year? The Spirit is right there. 
And as you engage, I'm suggesting you do it once. Maybe you do it between now and years. Instead of writing a list of resolutions, do this. It'll, it won't take more than an hour or two. An hour, give yourself an hour the first time. And only then write your resolutions. Ask the Holy Spirit what you should be thinking about and working on next year. And this will give you the blueprint. This will give you the way forward, the roadmap. This will surface the things that need to change in your life. Write them down. Those are your resolutions. That is the Holy Spirit acting as an advocate and counselor in your life. And when you've done that, I guarantee that this will become true. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. The peace that passes all understanding is the peace that we get when we know that we are aligned with God's purpose. We're not at cross purposes with him. We're not fighting him. If he is for us, who can be against us? If you've asked the Holy Spirit to guide you for this year, you've now got a roadmap to peace. You won't have to worry about anything if God's on your side and you're carrying out his purposes and his will. But remember, because we're fallible, we screw up, we don't follow through on resolutions and promises, this spirit is at work within you. Jesus said, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit. Right in the center of your being, there is a wellspring. It is the wellspring of the Holy Spirit the breath of life, the source of life, creativity, new things. It is flowing. When you tap into it, when you listen to the Holy Spirit, when you make that the center of your decisions, when you, whatever plans you have, whatever relationships, if you ground them in that presence, then they're going to blossom. They're going to bear fruit. They're going to grow. And as you watch that happen, as you trust that more and more, as you pay attention to that more and more, whatever else is going on is not going to matter. You're going to be rooted in God. And the circumstances of your life won't matter anymore. What a wonderful way to begin the new year. In a moment, we're going to go to the Lord's table. How does our spiritual nature grow? It grows through the Lord's table. This is how we feed it. Because Christ says that when you eat and drink of him, you are eating and drinking spiritual food. And so as we come to the table, I want you to think about that spring of living water. I want you to think about what is the question that you should be asking this next year. I want you to be specific. When and where are you going to do this? Don't let it just drift. Plan it. Make an appointment. And invite God in to 2019, right at the beginning. Things will change. Your life will bear fruit.
The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Right there on offer at the center of who you are, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of Christmas. Let's pray. Lord, our lives are filled with distractions. The world clamors for our attention, telling us who we are, what we should be doing, what's important. Telling us also all the ways that we fail, all the ways that we're not perfect. Lord, you've already told us that you loved us through Christ. You've given us the Holy Spirit who constantly reminds us who we are who prays in and through us, who connects us to you as our Father, who makes us part of the family. Lord, help us base our life on that reality and that truth. Help us in our families make that the reality of our relationship with each other. Help us, Lord, make that the reality of 2019. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.